Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. The Beatitudes is it's Hebraic poetry, um, and, and it's line by line going through uh, the different people that are blessed. And this is the way a lot of people assume it's interpreted. It's blessed are the people who are humble, blessed are the people who mourn, blessed are this group and this group and this group, and it goes through all these lists of people who are blessed. But really, I believe what this is, is it's Jesus' desire for his followers to look like this person. For this, all these different characteristics to be embodied in a single individual and for us to embody that and to be blessed in, in what he wanted for us. And so really when we look at the Beatitudes, it, it really is about being blessed and, and walking in God's blessing, but it's the blessing that's associated with right action. And so as we live rightly and live righteously before God and in communication, in relationship with God, we are blessed. And so today we're, we're gonna pick up in Matthew chapter five, verse 10, and this is where we'll finish up this series today. And this is what it says in Matthew 5, 10. It's Jesus speaking to his followers, and it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And persecution, if you look at this, um, in this context, it, it means someone who is subject to hostility because of their beliefs. Now, we understand persecution to some degree where we're at because we hear about persecution around the world, especially with the rise of, of groups like ISIS who are killing and terrorizing Christians around the world no matter what their nationality is. We hear about this kind of whispered on newscasts and news reports. Maybe you see reports on the internet about persecution, but it's something that we really don't understand to that degree here in the United States. We understand persecution to some degree, but not anything like that. Let me, let me finish this passage in Matthew 5, 11 through 12. It says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is, in, in, is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I don't know about you. When I feel like I'm being uh, attacked, I don't go, man, God, thank you so much for allowing this attack on me and my family. Yes, like who does that? No one. But what does Jesus tell us to do? He says, rejoice. Hey, be glad when persecution comes your way. And that's, that's hard to wrap our minds around, that we should be glad when persecution comes our way. But this is what it says. Sometimes we think we're persecuted. Um, you know, my boss is persecuting me because he won't give me the week off that I wanted. I just, it's in the name of Jesus, I claim that week, right? Like we do things like that. It's like, no, 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 no. This is not what Jesus was talking about, okay? Because he says right here, you're blessed when others revile, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So Jesus says, um, when it's my fault that you get persecuted, then you're going to be blessed. If it's just run-of-the-mill persecution, if you're just having a bad day, uh, that's, that's a little bit different. But he says, this is something really interesting here too. He says, blessed are you when others revile you. And if you look at the context, he doesn't say if. He, he doesn't say there's a chance this might happen if it does. Just be ready. I'm just telling you. What he's saying is when persecution comes your way. So what we must understand in our context in the United States, we look at what we have and we sometimes we take it for granted. I'm so grateful that we have freedom to meet and to worship God openly and publicly. I'm so grateful that I can proclaim the name of Jesus and not have to worry that somebody's going to bust in our doors and drag me off to, to prison. Is there anybody else thankful for that besides me? <laughs> 
I'm pretty grateful because when I read some of the stories of Christians that are persecuted around the world, I feel guilty because I don't always appreciate what we have. We think we're persecuted because we can't pray in public schools like we once did. Or we think we're persecuted because the government seems to be aligned against uh, churches many times. But I'm telling you, we have not even scratch the surface of what persecution could be in the church in the United States. This is not to scare you, but persecution is going to come. Jesus says when persecution happens, it will happen in our lives. You will be persecuted for your beliefs. If, if, if you live and proclaim your beliefs. See, one of the reasons some of us don't have to ever worry about being persecuted is because other than occasional church attendance, no one would ever know that we're actually Christians. We never talk about it. Lord knows we don't live like it. You, maybe you got a summit sticker on your car, but if, you, if, if you're the guy that's cutting people off, take the summit sticker off your car, okay? Do me a favor. <laughs> but many of us feel like if I just show up to church, I'm good. If I just show up to church, then, then God owes me. I got to get into heaven. But what Jesus is saying is persecution is going to come your way. If you live out your faith and proclaim Jesus as Lord, it's going to happen. The good news is you get blessed for it. The bad news is suffering is going to be part of our lives at some, to some degree or another. Now, this is not a message that we love to hear. We don't love to hear about suffering and persecution. But the truth is persecution happens around our world every day. And at some point it is coming to the United States. Our, our nation, in a lot of ways, spiritually follows Europe. So as Europe was this Christian stronghold for, for hundreds of years, and then it fell into the secularized nation, uh, nations that they are today, I'm telling you, unless God does something incredible in our nation, we are, we're going to have hundreds and thousands of churches all across the United States in 20 years that are empty, that are, that are going to be turned into bars, are going to be turned into libraries, are going to be turned into community centers, but they will not be churches. <laughs> you guys are ready to shout me down. You're excited. You're like, preach that, Mel. That's good preaching, right? Every month in our world, 300, over 320 Christians are killed for their faith. That doesn't sound like a lot when you're talking about the globe, when you're talking about worldwide. But, but remember, the average church in the United States is less than 100 people. So when you, you imagine that every month, three churches are being systematically killed. They're killing everybody in those church every month. 320 Christians are being killed every month just simply because they profess Jesus as Lord. Every month, 214 churches or Christian properties are destroyed simply because... They're associated with Christ. And again, we can't understand that. We understand it on a cognitive level, but we don't understand it on a heart level. We, we know that Jesus suffered, but we don't want to share in that suffering, right? We want to share in the resurrection and in life. We want to share in the blessing, but we don't want the suffering that comes along with living the godly lifestyle. This is what um, an Egyptian man, he converted to Christianity. And this is a quote. This is what he says. He says, in great suffering, you discover a different Jesus than you do in normal life. Pain and suffering bring up to the surface all the weak points of your personality. In my weakest state, I had an incredible realization that Jesus loved me even right then. That first statement is so powerful. In great suffering, you discover a, greater, a different Jesus than you do in normal life. See, we don't like suffering. We don't like when hardship comes our way. We don't like when difficulty comes our way because sometimes it makes us think that, that maybe 
God is not as powerful as he said he is. It makes us question his power or his word. Maybe God is not as good as we thought he is because I'm suffering. If I'm dealing with this stuff, why is this happening? And why is this happening? And, and why would this happen to me? So we begin to question God. But what we have to understand is suffering is going to happen in our lives. The question is, how will we deal with it? How will we let God deal with it? What will that look like for us? So let me, let me just share a, a few thoughts with you today. I promise this won't take long. And I never say that unless it really doesn't take long. So I'm going to get through this pretty quickly today because I can already tell you're loving my message on suffering. The first thing we have to know about suffering is suffering is shared. Um, maybe a better way to put this is suffering can be shared. Um, because the truth is, we talk in this room, we talk about being family with each other. We talk about loving each other. We talk about loving you even at your worst and helping you walk through your difficulties and circumstances. But the truth is, as a body, as, as a Christian body, not just our church, but you know, we talked a while back about the ecclesia being a movement. The ecclesia, all of the churches united together as one body, we suffer together. We, we are not in this thing alone. Um, one of the things I... I I struggle with the most or that I get most disappointed in is when I hear from somebody and they go, hey, I've been gone a few weeks. Yeah, I was in the hospital, but I didn't want anybody to know. Like, what are you talking about? You didn't want anybody to know. Well, I just didn't want to bother anybody. I'm like, well, would you bother your mom about that? Well, yeah. And I'm like, well, why didn't you bother? We wanted to know. We want to come alongside you. We don't want you to suffer alone. We don't want you to walk through your junk alone. I hate it when um, I've had this before where Couple has disappeared. We followed up, hadn't heard anything back. And we find out a few months later, one of the couple starts coming back. Going, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Well, we got a divorce. Well, how come we didn't know about this? We want to walk you through your difficulties. We want to help you. We want to, and a lot of times we choose to suffer on our own because we think nobody cares. We think uh, we're going to be strong and do this alone. But the truth is we should suffer together. We should take on and share each other's burdens, but we don't because of pride, because whatever it might be. But this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. He said, pray for them and remember them just as if you're sitting next to them in the cell. And those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So what is, what is the writer of Hebrews saying here? He's saying, you are part of that body, so how in the world would you neglect to pray for and, and believe for and come alongside those who are suffering? Now again, how do we come alongside those that are suffering in, in another nation, in Egypt or in, um, in um, Iraq or Iran or Pakistan? How do we come alongside them? We come alongside them with prayer. And I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm your pastor. But I pray for myself a lot more than I do the persecuted church. And it's something I need to change. Because I'm real self-focused on, God, help our church, bless this, help this, all those kind of things. But when I was working through this message and I asked myself, how often have I prayed for persecuted Christians around the world? I was like, ooh. All right, I get it, God. I'll start doing that better. I'll start doing that more. I'll start caring about the body as if it was actually my body. I'll start praying for people as if I was in the cell with them. Because I'm telling you, if you're sitting in a prison cell in Iraq and, and you might be killed, You'd probably be praying pretty hard, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would learn a whole new dynamic of prayer sitting in that cell than you do sitting on your couch in your living room, and I would too. 
And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. That's what we need to get to. That's where we need to be. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You, you probably heard this illustration before. You know, we've got unimportant body parts, you know, but if something is hurting or in pain, it affects the whole body. Um, I, I don't understand medically why we have certain internal organs, if they can just take them out, like, oh yeah, we're going to remove that. And you're like, well, why do we need it? Well, I don't know, really. You know, like, it makes me nervous about doctors sometimes. They're like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. We'll just remove that. And I'm like, well, I think it's supposed to be there, right? And they're like, nah, you'll be fine without it. But have you ever had your gallbladder inflamed? Like, you know, they remove people's gallbladders. But I've sat in the ER with people before that were dealing with their gallbladder. And, and I'm talking like tough, like working <clears throat> redneck farmers. I mean, like big, you know, calloused hands, like, and they're laying on the gurney going, ah, 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 ah. okay, I'm, I'm good now. I'm good. I'm good. Are you okay? Are you all right? Can I, can I pray? Yeah, I'm, yeah, you, yeah we're, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I think, I think the worst is, ah, you know, like I've seen the pain they're in. And at that moment, they would say that organ may be unnecessary, but it is killing me. His whole body was suffering because of that gallbladder. And so we can look and go, you know what? Do we even really need to care about Christians in Egypt, Christians in Iraq or Iran, North Korea? Do we need to worry about that? But the truth is, if they are suffering, we suffer with them. When they rejoice, we rejoice with them because we are one body. Here in this church, the people sitting in this room with you, you may not even know. You may not know their names. You might not know their circumstances. You might not know their background. But the truth is, if they are suffering as one body, we should suffer alongside them. But likewise, when they rejoice, we need to rejoice with them. We need to celebrate with them when God is doing incredible things in their lives. Because we are one body. Suffering has a purpose. Don't you love hearing that when you're suffering? And people go, well, God's going to use us someday. And don't you want to just say, shut up? Like, I don't care if God's going to use it someday. This stinks right now, right? It sounds like such a cliche, but it's true. God uses our pain. He, he puts a purpose behind it and does something incredible with it. He takes our suffering and he glorifies himself through it. I don't like that very much. I'd much rather him glorify himself through my happiness and my comfort, right? But that's not always how it works. So suffering has a purpose, it has several purposes. It allows us to understand others better. When you have dealt with an abusive situation, you know how to pray with and how to comfort somebody who's been through an abusive situation. I've been through some difficult uh, job situations. <laughs> I've dealt with a few pastors, honestly, that I thought were certifiable. It might be crazy. And our staff is dealing with the same thing. <laughs> so I know how to comfort them. But God uses our, our past and our past suffering to help us minister to those that are currently suffering because we know where they're at. We know what they've been through. There's a lot of people that come through my office that I'm talking to about a circumstance in their life, and I can't say, I know what you've been through. I've been there. I just have no idea because I've never dealt with the situation they're dealing with. But you, maybe you have. We don't need the lights on that side of the room. It's okay. So God uses our suffering to help us minister to others better. If you've ever suffered through something, you understand that uh, suffering eliminates pride in our lives, doesn't it? It's hard to be prideful whenever we're suffering. Whenever you just lost your job, 
Your bank account's empty. You got trouble going on in your life. Isn't it hard to be boastful? You're like, yeah, look what I got. My car broke down and it won't run. I can't even get to work. Lost my job. It's like a country western song. Your life is a country western song. You don't brag about that, right? No. It brings you low. And we know that when we are brought low because of our circumstances, that's a perfect opportunity for us to connect and meet with God. At the end of the day, the greatest purpose God has for us through suffering is that God is glorified. Normally, I read the ESV. Let me read this passage from the message for you. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. It says, we've been surrounded and battered by troubles. And some of you, this is going to be you on the money. But we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. While we're going through the worst, you're getting in on the best. At the end of the day, it's such a cliche for us to say it, but it's true. When we suffer and we suffer well, God is glorified in us and through us. Yeah. When, when our story is done, the greatest thing that can be said about our lives is that we glorified God. Not that we were nice. Not that, that we raised good kids. All those things are important. Not that we were successful. Not that we made a lot of money. But that we glorified God. You know, Romans 8, 28, I've preached on this before. It says that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And what this is saying is when you suffer, which is going to happen, God is going to take that and use it in incredible ways for his glory. It doesn't mean that you're going to get rich because you suffer. It doesn't mean that you're going to get everything you want because you suffer. What it means is God will be glorified through your circumstances, that there will be good that comes from your circumstances. And the good might not be that you hit the lotto. The good is probably going to be that you grow closer to God in your relationship with him and that he will be glorified through your circumstance. This is the good part of the message. Suffering is temporary. Aren't you thankful for that? This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 8. It says, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. <clears throat> Doesn't it make you feel a little better when people suffer with you? Sounds kind of sadistic to say it like that, but isn't it true? When you're suffering, when you're going through a circumstance and somebody can come alongside you and go, man, I'm dealing with the same thing. I'm going through the same problem. I've got the same circumstance. And there's something that goes, okay, I'm not in this thing alone. I'm not, I'm not on an island by myself. Doesn't that make you feel a little bit better? Not that you want other people to suffer, but all of a sudden, it just makes this very isolated situation make you feel like you're not so much alone. And after you've suffered a little while, in my notes, I underlined the, the phrase a little while. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to read that last part again. And after you've suffered a little while, 
okay, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When, when does this happen? What happens after we've suffered for a little while? God can do amazing things in us and through us after we have suffered for a little while. If we will endure that, that momentary suffering, God can be glorified through us. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, so this is what, what, what Paul is saying to the, to the Roman church. He's saying, the suffering that we're enduring right now, we're not even going to care about when we are experiencing the goodness of God. When we're experiencing the, the full manifest glory of God, we're not going to care about this. My dad... Um, He's from Eastern Oklahoma, and uh, he—I love my dad. I, I wish I had written a book of all the like redneck colloquialisms he had come up with through the years. It's it's pretty funny, um, but he has all these sayings and all these little quips and things like that. But one of the things he loves to say when something goes wrong is he'll say something like, um, "Well, you'll never know it a hundred years from now." That's exactly right, Dad. You're exactly right. I will not know it 100 years from now, but I'm going to know it 10 minutes from now and 20 minutes, you know, an hour from now. And, you know, and it's true. I won't know it 100 years from now. But I think what my dad's saying is kind of echoing what, what we see, the writer of Romans, we see Peter, we see James, all these people coming together to say is that our suffering matters. It's painful. It's difficult. But in light of glory, it doesn't matter at all. And I don't want to minimize your suffering, but in James chapter 4, James compares our lives to a vapor. He says, your life is like a vapor. And if you know anything about a vapor, man, Pennsylvania winters are cold. You walk outside, and when I was a kid, I would pretend on the playground like I would, you know, <laughs> you know do the, that thing. And my daughter would freak out if I even pretended like I was smoking a cigarette. But um, I would, you know, you'd act all grown up because what would happen? Well, the moisture from your air would freeze and then it would, it would disappear, right? And just like that air, that, that moisture disappears in the air, that's what our life is compared to. Not that it doesn't matter, but it is so brief, it's so momentary. And when we look at the suffering that we endure in our lives compared to the eternity of glory, of knowing Jesus and being in a relationship with God, it pales in comparison. It's amazing how sidetracked we get by things in our lives that really don't matter at all. I love my girls. Um, I talk about them a lot. But um, my girls have no perspective at all. Zero. Uh, and I'm sure your kids are better than mine, but because um, I'm sure you've raised yours right. But my girls don't understand perspective. And so what happens is, sometimes they will freak out about things that don't matter. Um, laying out clothes for the next morning of school. If you've got daughters, you understand how dramatic and traumatic it is to pick out what you're wearing to school. And Emma, my youngest, she will lay out her clothes and she'll say, Daddy, I don't have anything to wear. 
I go, what are you talking about? You got three, you know, a whole chest of drawers that are full. Like you can't even close the drawers because of the clothes. You got a closet of all these clothes. Hang- what do you mean you don't have anything to wear? I don't have anything to wear. And I'm like, well, what about this? No, that doesn't work. And like this, this panic starts rising up in her that maybe we're going to make her go to school naked. I don't know. Like <laughs> I have nothing to wear. And there are times that it almost borders on insanity. It's like, just calm down. Like, we will figure this out. But what has happened? She's freaking out about what she's going to wear to school the next day, right? And I go, if you could just see things from my perspective, if you could just see the big picture, it would not matter. In that moment, is, she, is it legit that she's freaking out about her clothes for school? Well, absolutely, because that's the way she feels. But from my perspective, does it matter what she wears to school? No. It's inconsequential. It's just a moment. And from my perspective, I see that. And sometimes we freak out over things that don't even matter. We, oh my gosh, God, I lost my job today. What am I going to do? Is it a big deal when you lose your job? Absolutely. It's terrifying, right? You panic. How am I going to take care of this? But I think from God's perspective, he goes, why are you freaking out about this? (laughs) Why are you panicked about this? Why are you getting crazy? Just calm down. I've got this. This is a moment. Your life is a vapor. You're freaking out about this momentary thing. When I'm looking at eternity, I'm looking at the, from beginning to end, I know the whole thing and you're worried about this. Is it suffering? Absolutely. It absolutely is suffering when you lose your job. When you're going through a difficult marriage, when you're dealing with relationship issues, with problems with your kids, all those things, they are suffering and they are real. And I don't want to minimize those, but I think sometimes we overreact when we can't trust God and say, okay, God, I trust you. Because sometimes with my daughters, I just want to go, would you just trust me and believe that it's going to be okay? I I would not send you to school naked. I promise, right? I'm not going to let it happen. Just trust me. I think there are times that our heavenly father wants to go, just trust me. Just know that it's going to be okay. I see the big picture. You you see this much. Trust me. It will work out. Worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. Last night, um, I pray with my girls before bed every night. I go in their room, and I'll lay down beside them. We'll just pray. And I will pray, but then I always make them pray. Because I don't want them just to hear me pray. I want them to exercise their faith. And I want them to know what it means to pray and to seek God. So I I laid down with Emma and we were praying and I prayed and then, and then she prayed. And I want to make sure I get this right, but she prayed this prayer. I just thought, God, help me to pray the same kind of prayer from my heart. And she just said, God, my life can She's nine, okay? So this seems so ridiculous. But she said, God, my life can be really hard, but I know that you are good. I thought, God, what is hard about her life, right? She's got no mortgage. She's got no bills. She's got no payment. Her biggest struggle is what she's going to wear to school the next day, right? But to her, in that moment, her life is hard. So I'm not going to minimize that. But the, the part that got me wasn't the first part. It was the second part. She said, My life is hard, but you are good. I thought, God, let me pray that prayer. Let me remember that on the times that I say, God, my life is hard. I complain about this and that and that and why why all these things stink. I want to remember that God is good. 
When she said that, it reminded me of this passage from Habakkuk. And this is not one we preach very often from Habakkuk. He's one of the minor prophets. And this is what it said though. Habakkuk chapter three, verse 17. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. See, Israel was in captivity and there was nothing good going on for them at the time. And this is what the prophet is saying. He said, this is the circumstances we're living in. We have nothing to eat. We have no jobs. We, have, we can't produce anything. And this is what he goes on to say though in verse 18. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. He said, you know what? The circumstances around me look dim. I'm suffering here, but God is still good. He hasn't forgotten about me. He's still in control. He's still sovereign. And, and yes, my circumstances don't look good, but my circumstances don't dictate who my God is. My God is bigger than my circumstance. There was an Episcopal minister named Phillips Brooks. He lived in the 1800s, and this is what he said. He said, I do not pray for a lighter load, but for a stronger back. And that's my prayer, that God would not let us be a group of Christians that constantly just pray that he would fix our circumstances, but that we would be a group of Christians that would pray, God, fix us, make our hearts right. Don't conform our circumstances to our will, but conform, uh, conform us and our will to your will. Help us look more like you instead of trying to fix our lives. That's what I want for myself, and that's what I want for you. Let's pray together. God, I love you today. I'm grateful that you are here among us. And that God, in spite of suffering, you are still God. In spite of our circumstances, you're still God. So I pray today that you just reveal that to us. Let us see that. Let us respond to it, Lord. Have your way among us. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? Because of my circumstances, I've had a hard time connecting with God. I've been through some difficulty. I've been through trials and I've blamed God. Because of that, I've never really been in a relationship with him. But today, I want to know him. Today, I want to be in a relationship with him. I want to get things right with God. If that's you, and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life today, would you just put your hand up? I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you. I just want to pray with you where you're at. If you're here today and you say, I want to make some things right with God. I want to, I want to know him as Lord of my life. Thank you. Over here on my left, sir. I see you. You can put your hand down. Over here. Thank you. Awesome. Who else would join these and say, that's me. Pray for me. I want to know Jesus today. I want to have a relationship with God. Thank you, open the balcony, you can put your hand down. Awesome. Awesome. Just a few more seconds, who says, that's me, pray for me. Over here on my right, thank you so much. I see you, buddy, you can put your hand down. Great. I want every person in the room, whether you raised your hand or not, just to repeat this prayer with me, repeat it boldly, and let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you are good in spite of my circumstance. You are bigger than all my trouble and I trust you today. I'm turning away from my old life and I commit to chase after you. You are true life and I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give God a huge round of applause this morning? Thank you for being so good to us. Now listen, if you raised your hand and said that's me, or maybe you didn't, but you should have, there is a, a prayer card in that seat back in front of you. 
And I, I want you to take that prayer card out and fill out the side that just says um, salvation or rededication. Let us know about the decision you made. We wanna help you take the next step in your walk with Christ. So if you would fill that card out, drop it off in one of our offering boxes, and we're gonna help you take the next step so that you can grow in your faith and become a disciple. Now do me a favor, bow your head and close your eyes one more time. I, we're not quite done. If you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian, but the truth is I'm struggling. I'm, I'm suffering, I'm going through some stuff in my life and I need God's help. I need God to redeem it. I need to see that God is bigger than my circumstance because my eyes are on my circumstances instead of my God. And I need God's help to get through what I'm dealing with. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high for me? Let me pray with you. Oh God, thank you, Lord, all over this room. Thank you, Lord. Just pray with me. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much, God, that you are a good God. Lord, that you come alongside us when we suffer. And Lord, I thank you that your word asks us and implores us to suffer with the body. So Lord, today, as we see these hands all over this room, God, I pray that we would suffer and grieve and mourn alongside our brothers and sisters, that God, they would not be suffering alone. But God, more than that, help us to encourage, help us to bless. Lord, help us to empower those around us to, to see you for who you really are, that you have not forgotten about us, God. That, Lord, our circumstances say that you, maybe you have forgotten about us, but we know that you are good no matter what our circumstances say. So, Lord, I pray for each person in this place that's suffering, that's dealing with some junk in their lives. God, I pray today that they would get their eyes off their circumstance and get their eyes and fix their eyes firmly on who you are, that you are a God that does not neglect, does not forget, does not abandon his people. And so, Lord, today we're declaring that your truth over this house, that you are good and that you are for us. And that, Lord, we are the head and not the tail. Father, we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. So today, we are not defeated. We're not overcome. God, we are not broken by this world, but God, we are overcomers. So God, I pray today your truth would come alive in us, that we would claim that and walk in that. And Lord, we would be a victorious people so that we can reflect your glory to this world, God. As we suffer, let us suffer well so that people can see your goodness at work, even in difficult circumstances. God, I thank you that you are God and you are good, and we can trust you today. Have your way with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now listen, our prayer team is here. We're available. We're going to sing one last song together. Our prayer team's on either side of the stage to pray with you. If you have a prayer need of any kind, you can email us your prayer need at prayer at summittogether.com or you can fill out that prayer card and drop it in the offering boxes as you leave today and uh, let us know about that. We wanna pray with you about whatever your needs are. So why don't you stand all over the room? We're gonna sing one last song together and we're gonna pray together. If you have any needs of any kind, please find one of our prayer team members on either side of the stage so we can agree with you in prayer. I love you more than you know. I love being your pastor. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.